Hey everybody, thanks for hanging out with me for just a couple of minutes. Here, our focus is being better and healthier than yesterday. Are you better? Are you healthier than you were yesterday? Here, we don't compare ourselves to him or to her. We compare ourselves to who we were yesterday. Self-improvement has no end. Health has no finish line. There are lifelong journeys where we take it one day at a time, and here we do it together. So let's do this. Before I get into the main content, if you want to get in contact with me, email and Instagram are the best ways to get in contact. Email me at benpagedc at gmail.com and on Instagram, benpagedc. And if you listen to this, go to Instagram, tag me on the episode, and I'll tag you right back and we get to know each other. I love to get to know the community and I would love to get to know you. So let's get on to the main content. Welcome back to another episode of the Wellness Farmer Podcast. I am excited. Um, This is one of the people that has taught me quite a bit about my nutrition and how my evolution of nutrition has come to pass in the last couple of years. So I am am beyond excited to actually bring him onto the show and and have him explain his story to you guys, the listeners. Um, I got Sean Baker on and he is going to talk about his evolution also and how it has helped me so much of course i'm not gonna i'm gonna let him introduce himself i'm i'm again stoked to have him on the show but sean do you want to give an introduction to who you are and that windy road of where you got and then we'll we'll jump into the conversation yeah i mean i guess if you want to start on the windy road it is a little bit weird for me but yeah my name is dr sean baker i am an md i'm an origin by training uh, I spent, you know, several decades practicing standard of medicine, standard, standard care, healthcare, doing surgeries and, and on and on. I started, you know, I started out typical route, I got a degree in biology, went on to medical school, actually dropped out of medical school after my, you know, after beginning my second year to go play rugby in New Zealand. So I kind of like got sidetracked, went there, came back to the U.S., actually joined the Air Force to continue playing rugby for the military teams, uh, you know, in the early 90s, that's where uh the better rugby was being played and, and then worked as a nuclear missile launch officer. So I was launching nuclear bombs uh, or would have had we have gone to, you know, nuclear war. That was my job. And then I decided to go back to medical school. So the military was kind enough to pay for that. And then I, I you know, I finished my, my medical school, got my residency training, spent five years, you know, training to be an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, then went back into the military, was deployed uh, overseas to Afghanistan where I did a lot of the, you know, sort of the combat trauma surgery. Uh, finished up private practice. Uh, you know, dur- during this entire time, I was I was an athlete. I uh, competed in, you know, of course, rugby in New Zealand. And then I went on to doing uh, strongman competitions. I took uh, fifth in the first U.S. national championships as a as a 300 pound athlete. Uh, did power powerlifting, where I set several uh, state, national, and world records as a powerlifter, as a drug free powerlifter. I'll, I'll put that in there. Uh, then I switched into something called uh, the Highland Games. Uh, which is the Scottish games where you put a kilt on and you throw various objects, you know, you run around with a big kind of telephone pole looking thing called the caber. I won a world championships in that. I uh, went on to do uh, competitive indoor rowing. You know, if some of you guys are familiar with CrossFit, they've got these rowing machines and there's actually worldwide competitions on that. And a lot of the Olympic rowers will compete in that. And I end up again, winning, setting several world records and, and winning world championships in that. Along this journey, as a physician, uh, I started to see my health decline. Despite all this crazy sports and success as an athlete, I was still seeing myself getting older and noticing, you know, like, you know, I was developing sleep apnea and I was, uh, my blood pressure was going up. I was probably pre-diabetic. Um, and then I decided, like, I'm not going to have, I'm not letting this happen. So I, 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 I can't work at it any harder because I'm working, you know, it's not- I can't train much harder in the context of also having a full medical career. And so I started playing with diet and I. And I lost weight. I got leaner and I was the most miserable I'd ever been in my life. I was grouchy. I was tired. I was, I was, uh, <laughs> I was uh, unhappy. The, the nurses in the clinic said they much, much prefer the, the, the nicer, fatter Dr. Baker. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, after about, uh, you know, and I, from in that period of time, I went from 285 to 230, and that took me about three months. 
you know, and then I was like, okay, I can't sustain this. This is not something I can do. Uh, I don't want to be miserable all the time. I don't want to be hungry all the time. So I, I, I started to transition to different dietary schemes and I went through this kind of paleo diet phase and then low carb phase and then a ketogenic phase. And then about, uh, I guess about six years ago, I kind of discovered this group of crazy, crazy people eating an all meat diet. I said, that looks pretty damn crazy and weird, but it can, it, it, it sort of what they were saying and what they were, what, what they were demonstrating with the health conditions was enough to intrigue me. And so I kind of followed for about six months what they were doing. Then I finally went in to, to do it. And then I, you know, I, 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 you know, I went just steak and eggs for a couple of days and I was like, well, you know, I actually feel pretty good. And then, you know, I, I then I went instead of a couple of days, I went a week and then I went two weeks. And finally in the, uh, at the end of 2016, I went for a full month and I was literally kind of really impressed and floored by how good I had actually felt. And, and I couldn't remember the last time I'd felt that good. Uh, and so after 30 days, I went back, I, I, I was going to do it for a 30 day, 30, 30 day, uh, just experiment. And after the end of 30 days, I went back to my sort of omnivorous diet, you know, put back in fruits and vegetables and other omnivorous food. And I immediately started to feel worse. So I thought that was really kind of not how I wanted to do it. Uh, and so I just went back to the meat only diet and I've been on that basically now for, you know, I'm in my sixth year of doing this. And so, um, that's kind of how I got to where I am. And then, you know, and then along the way, of course, we got lots, lots of other people got interested. I got on Joe Rogan's podcast to talk about this. This obviously made me the, the sort of the number one public enemy, number one for a lot of vegan people, because I'm promoting a, you know, a meat-based diet and, oh my God, you, your, your soul deserves to rot in hell. How dare you, how dare you get people healthy by telling them to eat meat that that's not allowed, you know, or something that's against the official to speak. And, you know, and then, you know, and, and we've just, we've just come from that and we, we, you know, I, somebody approached me a couple of years ago, who's now my co-founder in, in the company we created now called Rivero Meet RX. Uh, and we've gone on to literally, you know, change a lot better, get people off medications, you know, get people to lose the symptoms of their disease, improve the quality of life tremendously by, you know, exploring meat-based diets. Not, not every single person is on a hundred percent strict all meat diet, but we are using various sort of levels of, 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 uh, restrictiveness to, to see tremendous uh, success. And now we, like I said, we've just uh, started our, you know, we've been, we've been in business for two years. We've, we've done all this stuff. We've had these great results. We've now gone into the venture capital world and we're raising, you know, several million dollars right now. And it's already going very, you know, we, we just, we opened part of that funding up, up to crowdsourced and within a week, we, we sold a million dollars out. We, we got a million dollars in investment with, you know, before we even launched the campaign, we've already got people reserved for their million dollars. So as soon as we launch, we're already finished. We've already, and that's one of the first times in the history of this crowdfunding company that's ever been done. So clearly we're onto something and clearly um, there is a need for, uh, you know, this chronic disease. I mean, the healthcare system is failing us abysmally. Uh, and it's not to say that there's bad, necessarily bad people in healthcare or doctors are bad. It's just the system is set up not for, curing disease. It's set up for maintaining disease and treating your symptoms and giving you pills. And, and, and I think many people are frustrated with that result, including many physicians. I mean, a lot of physicians don't want to come to work every day and just see the same old sad person and up your medicine or keep going. And, you know, the little small victories, hey, your blood pressure wasn't crazy today, but you're still on a bunch of pills. I mean, we're, we're, we're literally getting people off medicine every day, which is puts a smile on my face. So that's, that's, that's briefly me. <laughs> Hopefully that no, and that's a, that's a huge help. And it's exciting. And, and I love to see how it's happening too. I see it myself because I've been on this. I'm not pure, but I tr I'm trying to go more and more and more, but I, I see a change in, in who I am physically and emotionally just by, just by what I'm eating and how I'm eating it. I, I want to go back just a little bit and see there's, there's this push for plant, plant-based diets. Have been, it's been pushed I mean, pretty strong for the last couple of decades. Um, why do you think that is? Why do you think there's been such a big push for these, these, these plant-based diets and, and the opposite for, for meat-based diets? Yeah, well, I mean, I think what we're seeing today currently is, is being pushed purely out of financial profit, our projections on financial profit. They're trying to create a new market, you know, and, and you know, in the, food, in the food industry, really the only way to continue to, to grow you know, and, and every company wants to grow and make more profits is to create new products and new markets. And so this is what we're seeing. We're seeing these processed food companies who, by the way, have the cheapest ingredients possible, 
you know, the refined grains, the sugars, and the, and, the, and, the, and the industrial oils, they're super cheap to make. And they're trying to make these, you know, a new market. And so, you know, if you look at the, the meat industry worldwide is, you know, it's like a one and a half trillion dollar market. And so if they can capture 20% of that, you know, that's, you're looking, you're, now you're looking at $300 billion a year. So we, that's what we're seeing a push from. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, there's other people that say it's more nefarious than that and they want everybody weak and sick and so on and so forth. I don't know that I want to go and say that. I mean, maybe there's some people to do, but I, but I think the main motivation, not surprisingly, is just how much money can we make? And, and I think, uh, we, you know, every single corporation, you know, major corporation is successful. You know, at some point they have to be shareholders and, you know, and, and most successful companies are. And, and, and the goal is if you're, if you're, if you're saving the world, fine, but if you're not making money, we don't care, right? We don't care. We only care about the bottom line. I think that's what we're seeing. And I mean, these messaging around meat is bad for the planet, meat is bad, bad for your health. It's largely just complete propaganda. It is It is just, you know, it's the science. You know, we're, we're getting familiar with that term, follow the science. What's the science that is, uh, that is propping this stuff? And it's been going on for a long time. I can tell you the nutritional science um, as a whole is woefully lacking in, in rigor and, and good, good quality studies. I mean, I'm happy to say that a meat-based diet, I don't know what it's going to do. I don't know if it's going to make you live longer or shorter or give you cancer or not, because I don't think there's studies that can prove that. But I would say the same thing about any other diet. I just think, don't think nutrition can tell us that. And so I think these people that are out there scaremongering saying, oh, you better give up meat or you're going to get cancer in 20 years and die of a heart attack. I mean, it's just, it's, 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 you might as well be, you know, reading the tea leaves or looking at, you know, looking at your Zodiac stuff it's garbage. And so what my position has been is that like, I, I can take people that are, you know, overweight, diabetic, hypertensive, depressed, put them on a meat-based diet or some version of that. And those things go away pretty reliably. And I think that's all we can, I think that's all we can see that person's happier, healthier, has a better quality of life and how long they may live. I don't know. I suspect if you are free from disease, probably your lifespan is better, you know, you know, and, and there may be some people where they restrict protein and maybe there's some data in rats and stuff like that shows some caloric restriction evidence that you might live a little longer, but what you live in, in most cases in the state is a, is a state pretty significant sarcopenia. So you may live an extra year or two, but you're frail and your quality of life is bad. And I, you know, I can, I've seen several people, you know, in the, in the hundred rain, hundred year range as a, as a surgeon, it, damn near every one of them was demented in a diaper with a broken hip. And, you know, it's like that, that's not much of a quality of life in my view. And so, um, yes, there is a big message. There is a lot of money to be made in this, you know, these plant-based companies, Beyond Meats, the Impossible Burgers, you know, they're doing a lot of signaling and it's all to pad their bottom line. Uh, I think, you know, you know, their, their, their claims about environmental uh, friendliness, they, they don't release any of their data on their environmental impact. Uh, they totally discount the fact that we can we can pasture cows in a way that's carbon negative, you know, not carbon neutral, but carbon negative. They just ignore that, and you know, and they just dismiss any science that points the other way. Again, we it's 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 like some of these other things we've gone through. There is a a pretty significant body of evidence that says that cows are not destroying the planet, and, and you know, they 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 can be actually a net benefit to the planet. Um, there's a pretty significant amount of evidence showing that meat is not bad for us. Uh, but they're going to cherry pick the stuff that they find that's that that points that direction. And most of it's really weak associational stuff, which is you know just complete garbage, quite honestly. Yeah, and and so what do you what do you what are you recommending? So I've read all your stuff, but tell my listener. So what is your recommendation on on not really diet but nutrition? How should we be feeding ourselves right. as human beings? Well, I mean, I think we should be feeding ourselves food. And, I, and I, you know, I know that sounds kind of simplistic or stupid, but I mean, I think a lot of what we see showing up in the grocery store, I don't really consider even food anymore. I mean, I think, you know, if we look at, uh, you know, any sort of wild animal in its native environment, there's something that it's going to naturally eat it evolve with. And while Twinkies and Doritos and ice cream and, and cookies and Coke taste very, very good. I mean, I'm, I'm the first one to admit that. We didn't evolve with that stuff. That's not our food. We're not designed to eat that stuff. And I know there's people who say, well, you've got a cell phone and you've got an airplane. And we, but I mean, the human body doesn't, our genes don't change in that way. I mean, we're not designed to eat that. And we're seeing the consequences of that. So I would say, firstly, you know, let's get away with from the products, the processed food, the shelf stable stuff that has only been around for, you know, in some cases, less than 50 years. And so if we get rid of that stuff, that's step number one. And that's probably going to solve the problem for, 
you know, 80% of the people, quite honestly. And then it becomes into, you know, how much you're eating. Can you overeat? Can you overeat uh, natural, healthy food? Yes, you can. I mean, it's still possible to do that. It's less likely, you know, and then, and then I think, um, I don't really care what people eat, honestly. I mean, I just want people to eat something that makes them healthy. And, you know, and, and, but I, I mean, I will say, I think meat is a significant and important part of that diet. I, you know, if you're going to talk about superfoods, I think meat is a superfood. I really do. I mean, if you think about it, whatever you believe with regard to the rise of the human, you know, our human species, whether we were created by God six or 7,000 years ago, or if it was an evolutionary model where, the first sort of humans appeared back at Homo habilis 2.8 million years ago. Meat has been a part of that journey ever since we started. And, you know, people can say that, oh, we only ate meat because we had to and because we were starving. I said, well, you know, if we look at the historical record, we, we discovered agriculture in, you know, like 10,000, 12,000 years ago, we, we started to, to develop that. Why, why didn't we just give up meat then? We had plenty of other food because we know we, we, need, to, we need it as part of our diet. And the same thing with, any indigenous tribe throughout the planet. You go to the tropics in the middle of, you know, the forests of the Amazon and they're surrounded by edible fruit and food. They could eat all year round on that stuff. But what do they do? They spend four to six hours a day hunting every day because they know that they understand the value of meat in the diet. And so I think that's, you know, that, that's a general recommendation. And again, that's, again, if you're talking about a specific disease, then we get a little more refined in our recommendations. But I think, you know, we would all do better just to, you know, and, and I'm not the first one to say this, and many people say this, no matter what their dietary belief is, is let's get rid of the processed food. And, you know, I think one of the things that's been very frustrating for me, and I'm sure many other people, well, many people have echoed this, is we've just gone through this global pandemic. The United States has gotten hit the worst as far as, you know, what we're calling uh, deaths, whether it's with, with or without COVID, with or, with or because of, you know, COVID. Um, we have just tremendous comorbidities. We've got such a fat country of people that are sick and depressed and, diabetic and, oh, you know, and just suffering from all these problems. Um, and we didn't do a single thing to improve that with all the resources we put into this pandemic. Not even a single person has gone so far as to say, hey, guys, this would be a pretty good time to, to drop those 10 pounds to stop eating the processed food, maybe to go for a walk. That, that message could have been tacked on to all the rest of the stuff very easily with no further effort, with no further money, and not a single person said that, uh, which it boggles the mind as to why you can almost only attribute that to some nefarious intention. You know, I, I just, you know, I, I just, I don't understand it. And I think, I mean, outside of the, what I think is, you know, people willfully just ignoring it because they don't want to upset the apple cart with regard to pharmaceutical process profits and, you know, the, the fast food, junk food profits. Yeah, I was, I don't know where I saw this, but I saw a video. I don't know if it was the secretary to the secretary of something and there was in one of the questions was why aren't we helping people understand the importance of walking of exercise of eating healthy and she's like no the science says wear masks get an injection and get a booster so that's what we're doing <laughs> i was like no way that's what's coming up that's what's coming out of the that's what's coming out of the government that's uh we're we're in we're in good hands yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. I, remember, I think it was i don't know so the press secretary jen saki was asked that very good question he says you know a lot of countries are now starting to adopt this you know, this, thankfully, this push towards healthier health and asked her why they didn't. She goes, well, we're listening to our health advisors and if they in hospitalization among obesity and diabetics, none of them ever mentioned that. I, I just, I just, I, I can't believe that. I can't believe that at all. I mean, if, if you know, it's it, if that's the case, then we've got some crazy people that are <laughs> helping you. Who's I? Which you know, maybe that's the case. I don't know. I mean, we could go down that, but I mean, it's just I know it's it's really hard to understand how the how these last two years um, have been played out. Yeah, it's really difficult to understand. Well, for a person that like us that thinks, well, exercise, rest, good food, good good people i mean think properly i mean it doesn't make any sense to what they're doing it doesn't make any sense at all and, and it's been going on for two years but that's a whole other topic to take on because that is it's just it's it's something that's kind of it, it, we don't understand it as uh, as people that think just slightly different or maybe a lot different than these people do but going 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 back to going back to the 
the the way you've been eating so you're eating just pure meat then or, or is there something else involved in your diet yeah i mean so uh, you know i eat a, an animal-based diet i mean and I've, I've been very open about this i eat 98 percent of my diet is probably red meat you know i to that i'll add eggs to that i'll add fish to that i'll sometimes have a little bit of dairy and every once in a great while i'll eat something that's not animal based, you know, sometimes like I'll have a slice of cake on my kid's birthday or something like that. I'm not locked into any ideology. It's not a, like a vegan, oh, I'm saving the, the, the cauliflower by eating all the meat or something like that. Um, but I mean, my diet, uh, pretty much every single day, every single meal, I'm eating some sort of red meat, only with rare exception. You know, I, I mean, just a little bit ago, I had a strip steak, you know, and, and, and I'll probably have something, a sirloin steak for dinner tonight. And yeah, I've been doing that all the time. And then, you know, and, and truth be told, like when I'm just pure red meat and I'll do that for months on end, I always feel my best. I just feel lean and everything feels better. But, you know, sometimes I'll like, hey, I'm going to have a little bit of cheese here and there and a little bit of eggs and, you know, something. And I still feel pretty darn good, but I'm just like, I just don't feel quite as sharp. But, you know, it's like I said, it's still such a high level of, of uh performance and you know and i you know and a lot of what i do is is based on um you know i'm trying these sports and i'm trying to get better and i'm trying to you know constantly improve and so there's some objective feedback with regard to performance um and and then um you know i just uh find that uh for me uh because you, you know we, we can look at labs and all that stuff and i do sometimes but Honestly, I'm, I'm most concerned about my quality of life. I mean, I, that's what I think we're all, all for at the end of the day. I don't want to be depressed. I want to wake up happy. I want to wake up with energy. I don't want to be sore and achy. I want my digestion to feel good. I want skin to be clear, all those things. And that's what I care about. You know, and if, if my TL is 52 or 75 or 37, I don't really care. I mean, I, I honestly don't. I mean, I can, you know, I can sit there and, you know, talk about that stuff, but at the end of the day, you know, I think it's, if, if none of us had access to any labs at all, and we didn't have all this fancy technology, which our grandparents really didn't, and they were arguably as healthy or healthier than we are as a population, you know, you just wouldn't care about that stuff. You care about what really mattered to you. And now we've, we've kind of sort of made medicine so data driven, and a lot of people are into that. But I mean, at the end of the time, you're kind of losing the essence of what it means to be healthy. And, and you know, if I have to if I don't know I'm healthy, if I have to look at a lab to tell me if I'm healthy, then, then something's probably wrong. Uh, I can be sick and I can use a lab to figure it out why I'm sick, but to, to sort of put my faith in, oh, I'm healthy because tone readings were this or my, you know, LDL was this, or, you know, it's, it's just a little goofy to me. And I'm saying as a physician who has seen literally tens of thousands of labs and putting it in context and a lot of the stuff, you know, if I order a hundred labs on somebody, 20 of them are going to be out of range. I'm like, does it even matter? You know, maybe it does. What's going on with the person? So, you know, and there's, there's physicians that feel the same way as me. There's others that are, you know, don't, 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 they, they were like, I got to have this, you know, got to have this and that. And, and, you know, it's like I said, if I am, if I were to stick you and I in an MRI machine, I would find God, hundreds of things that are wrong with us, literally. And, you know, how, how far do you want to chase that stuff? What are you willing to do? You know, and, and, and then you start saying, oh, my God, I've got a disc herniation. I got a small disc herniation at L3, L4. I'm going to stop living my life, you know, because, you know, it, it just goes on and on. So sometimes, it, you know, I'm not to belittle. Like, you know, there, there are some people that ignore everything. I, I, I used to see people who come in when I was doing my general surgery residency, women would come in with a giant tumor sticking out of her chest, breast cancer, like huge, like this thing. And they were ignoring it. And you're like, didn't you, didn't you kind of notice that? well i thought it would go away you know that's i mean i'm not saying that stuff but i'm just saying you know there's a point where it becomes hypochondriasis and, and you you get too paralyzed you know paralysis by analysis and you just can't think and you know i mean but but i mean generally most people if you're feeling good and everything feels great and you're happy and smiling and full of energy and you're lean most of the time you're in good shape there's exceptions everybody points to the exception well i knew that one runner guy that died and i'm like yeah that's true but most of the people aren't that way <laughs> That's, a, that's exactly what I think, too. And it's, it's, it's refreshing to see other people think that way. I mean, I see all these peeping, people getting these, getting these, 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 their blood drawn and all that. And they're looking for a number, but that's one number at one moment in your life. And you're constantly changing. Your body is constantly going up and down, up and down. And you're, and you're, 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 you're seeing, you're trying to 
put your health around a one or a couple numbers that you took that was taken from you at one moment in your life. And I, I and it's it's it, and I love how you explained it because you explain it a lot better than I do. And and I think it's I think it's the way to it's it's more quality of life. How do you feel? I mean, if you feel healthy, well, continue doing what you're doing because you're you're probably pretty healthy. It doesn't matter where your numbers are at because your body's gonna you your body's gonna adapt to whatever it needs to adapt to, and you're gonna feel great. It's funny because you talk about the disc herniation, and as a chiropractic physician, that's I think 95% of the people come in and say, yeah, I got three, I got three or four herniated discs. It's like, okay, well, that's fine. Join, join the club, right? <laughs> I know 80% of us have eight. Yeah. 80% of us have disc lesions and we're, and we're, and we're running around with pain free. So let me, let, let's, let's get you better. But, but yeah, it's, it's funny how people, they, they'll get it. They'll get a study and they'll see something. And then that's the reason that's the reason why and like no it's probably not the reason there's probably like five or six or seven other things that you're doing in your life that's probably causing the pain that you're that you're experiencing in your low back right now so let's try to find those and fix those <laughs> um, and you, as you know a lot of people will like they'll identify with the diagnosis and then that becomes their worldview and then they get this all this secondary gain from well if i didn't have that little like one millimeter bulge in my you know, L3, L4, I would be able to do all this stuff, but I can't now, you know, I don't want to take the risk. you know, it's just, you know, anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then the thing is, the more you move, the stronger you are, the, 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 the less problems you're going to have. I wanted to ask you about fat intake. Do you eat a lot of fat too? Or is it, is it almost all just muscle or do you include a lot of organs in your diet? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good, that's a great question. And, you know, I'm probably agnostic on I, both of those questions, quite honestly. I mean, I've seen benefits, you know, with, with, with all of those approach. I mean, the organ meat thing, I just don't like them. I just, I tried them. I tried them many times. You know, I've had, had them prepared by chefs and I've had, you know, some that I said, well, that's not really disgusting, but I mean, I've had some stuff and I'm like, this just does not appeal to me. And I, you know, I, cause I've looked at, you know, when I started this diet and I'm, I've said this many times, I didn't invent this diet. I mean, some Australopithecine probably invented it 3.5 million years ago or whatever or at least a homo, homo erectus maybe. But I, you know, I, and always people always laugh when I wanted to use that name for some word, some reason. But when I, um, you know, when I started this, I, I, there was a group of people like these nutty, crazy people on Facebook that were eating a all meat diet. And I was, they were talking about organ meats and they said, you know, these organ meat people come and go and they, they swear you gotta have organ meats. And then six months later, they're on to something else and they don't, they don't stick around. And the people who've been doing it the longest time don't really care. Some of them eat it, some of them don't. The data that I have on about 12,000 people doing a carnivore diet doesn't seem to show better or worse outcome, whether you include organ meats or not. The study that Harvard University did that published later, earlier last year, or, or sorry, at the end of last year, showed the same thing in their 2,000 people. You know, if you read, you know, I, and I asked them specifically to ask those questions because I, I kind of said, hey, would you ask mind asking you those couple questions? Doesn't seem to matter. I know there's people that are proponents and there's the liver king guys and all these guys, oh, you got to eat these, all this liver and stuff like that. And, and, and a lot of people, I don't like liver. Well, let's buy my liver. It's, you know, it's kind of like, I see a lot of marketing around that. But I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the thought that, well, our ancestors ate this, well, I mean, that's really, we're looking at, you know, indigenous tribes. And, you know, if you look at indigenous tribes today, which is, or even in the last 50, years, that's where most of that data comes from. And you have to realize those people are literally kind of in this subsistence situation. All the good stuff, all the good territory, all the good hunting grounds, they've been pushed out of that and marginalized for centuries. And so now they're, 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 they're out there, you know, they got these Tanzanians out there chasing and eating baboons. I mean, that's how they started out eating, but now they're, they're, they're scrapping to get baboons. And of course they're eating every last piece of that animal because they're, they're freaking hungry. But in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a uh, surplus situation rather than a subsistence situation. And we see that with an animal behavior too, in a surplus situation. And I would argue that human beings through most of our evolutionary path, you know, again, particularly starting when Homo erectus figured out how to kill the first mammoths, we've been kind of, we were kind of in a, subs, in a surplus situation for most of that time. Um, and, you know, up until, you know, I think the data shows about 80,000 years ago when we, when the megafaunal animals started to, you know, the decline in enough to where we didn't have access to them as much. Then we have to chase these small antelopes around and they're leaner and they don't have as much fat and they're harder to kill. And, and part of it drove some of our evolutionary towards homo sapiens because we had to figure out how to, you know, how to, how to cooperatively hunt better. And we started to develop range technology and bow and arrow, te bow and arrow technology started to come in later. But, you know, I, I think that uh, those things are 
nice if you like them. They're not necessary. I don't eat them. I do fine with that. I've got thousands and thousands of other people that totally don't eat organ meats and they do just fine. They get rid of their diabetes. They get off their meds. Everybody else does. Now there's a few fringe cases here and there where people will say I felt better with liver or my folate was low and I ate some liver and that came up and sure that can happen. But, but to say that, you know, you must do it this way. And if you're not eating, you know, uh, you know, 10% brain and 12% kidney and 22% liver and 5% heart that you're going to be, you're going to be messed up. That just doesn't seem to happen. Uh, and, and again, I'm always, my, my, my entire hypothesis has been, you know, let's see what the results are. What are the results are people getting and, and then just emulate what they're doing? And that's what I've been doing with. And rather than doing this theoretical, this is what should happen, this modeling, which, you know, when you model things, you often get them very wrong. And so I see a lot of that based on, you know, really based on, you know, current RDA, RDA stuff. You know, you must have X amount of vitamin C and manganese and magnesium. And we're like, well, who is that based on? Well, it's based on a population of people eating 50, 55% uh, carbohydrates and a significant part of that's grain. And we've got all these sort of, you know, anti-nutrients in the grain that are sucking up the magnesium and sucking up the zinc. And, you know, it's like, does it really apply to me? And I don't think it does. Um, the other question about fat. Yeah, I mean, if you're not eating carbohydrates and I'm generally not eating carbohydrates, I have to have enough fat to run my system. How much that is, is it kind of varies. I mean, you know, I think there's some, some point where as you get leaner and leaner with your own body tissue, you probably are going to need more fat to take in. If you're fairly over, overweight starting out, you probably can afford to go a little leaner. Now there's another, the other issue is satiety. You know, if you just eat nothing but skinny lean chicken breast, I mean, you're pretty miserable after a period of time. You're going to be pretty darn hungry. Uh, and you're going to end up looking in the cabinets for ice cream and whatever, whatever's up there. Where's those chocolate bars, you know? So I think I mean, I'm a big proponent of getting adequate protein. And I think the USRDA for protein is woefully inadequate. I think it is, you know, it's, it's, it's barely subsistence level of protein. I think, you know, probably doubling that for most people is, is pretty helpful. And, and, you know, myself, I eat God, 300, 400 grams of protein some days very easily. You know, I'm 250 pounds or something, 240 right now. But, um, but as far as the fats can, can go, I've seen some people thrive on a higher fat approach, and I think it depends on what you're dealing with. I know particularly, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting, there's a debate about this diabetics thing. You know, I've seen some of the best blood glucoses of anybody, these diabetics are eating a relatively high fat version. They just have this really flat CGM. And some people are arguing, well, the only reason their CGM is flat is because they're spiking insulin, and insulin is, is going up to maintain that. And, and, and I, you know, again, that's, that's up, for, up for debate. Um, and then my thought right now is, I want to eat whatever gives me the better body composition, you know, with regard to fat. And so I think there's a minimum amount of fat we need is that 40% of our calories is it 50, 60, 70, maybe, I don't know. But, you know, uh, if, if I end up saying, well, I really like eating 80% of my calories in fat, but I'm starting to gain body fat or I'm not lean I'm on and I need to be lean, then, then that's probably a problem. You got to figure out somehow, but there are some people that certainly when you cut their fat too low, you know, these people that try to go, you know, 50% or less of their calories from fat, 40%, 30%, then you start seeing hormonal issues in some people, you see uh, mood issues, you see hunger cravings coming back. And so there's a balance and it's a little bit different for everybody. And it, it, it varies, you know, you think about what's affecting our metabolic rate and our caloric requirements. One thing that a lot of people don't think about is just the temperature. I mean, when it's cold out, I got to generate more body heat, particularly if I'm spending a lot of time outside. So appetite's going to be up. If I'm sitting out, you know, in the hot sun, I, I maybe don't feel like eating a big fatty steak and, you know, and I, I might want something that's a little leaner. And, you know, it's one of those things that uh, um, kind of makes sense. I mean, you know, you, some people argue, well, you know, maybe I should eat some, some fruit or something like that because energy, it's not as many calories. Um, and, you know, I'm like, I'm in the tropics and fruit's more available, but we're in, I'm in the northern climates there. There's not a lot of mangoes growing in northern Canada. I mean, it's just not there. And so you're chasing mammoths and seals and, you know, whatever else was around back then, you know, and still around now. So, I mean, the fat thing is a, is a bit individualistic and I see people eating too much fat for sure. And I see people getting fat on a carnivore diet for sure. Um, and, and calories do make a difference for sure. But again, satiety makes a difference. Uh, you know, protein requirement, protein makes a difference, diet quality makes a difference, all those things make it. And then of course, what else you do, the exercise, I know, you know, 
I, I would imagine you're probably a proponent of being stronger and strength training and all those types of things, which I think is a huge part of the equation, particularly if you're going to eat more protein, which I think we should, but you should pair it with, you know, physical activity that, that, you know, I think, I think, you know, I think, again, if we were a hunting species, hunting is not a passive activity. You got to be relatively physical to hunt. And, and so I think we, we've got the reward, but we don't do the hunt anymore. So we've got to do, we've got, we've got to simulate the hunt somehow, whether it's actually hunting or wrestling around with, you know, 220 pound kettlebells, like it was just a little bit ago. <laughs> so that's, that's definitely something I've noticed. I've noticed when then the, cause I, I cook a lot on the barbecue. I love cooking ribs on the barbecue here in Argentina. They have really, they have thick, well, they, they cut the rib a lot thicker and they leave a lot of the fat mm -hmm. on it. So it's, I mean, it's just incredibly good. I mean, I love it. And it, it fills me up a lot faster. It fills me up a lot faster because I'm eating more fat. I can, I can feel it. I, after about two or three ribs, I'm almost, I'm pretty full. And it's just because the amount of fat that I'm consuming. So that's definitely something I've experienced yeah. in my own life just by eating the, the, the yeah, I think they're, they're, I was going to say, because I, I, you know, I've got this community of thousands of people and I talk to them every single day. I'm always getting feedback and we're talking about different stuff. And there's a distinct camp that, that literally says I do better on high fat diet. I even lose more weight on a high fat diet because it's profoundly satiating to me. I end up eating overall less. Mm -hmm. That clear, clearly occurs. I and mean, there's other people where they can just pound rib. And I'm one of those people. You give me a bunch of rib. I can sit there and eat four pounds of ribeyes in one sitting and go eat it again. Two, three, four hours later, I can do that again. So, I mean, I can get fat eating ribeyes. Um, and so, uh, but there's, it's interesting. Like when I go after a, uh, a brisket, for instance, for whatever reason, I don't know what it is about brisket, but I can't eat much. I mean, you know, and I say much in a way that two pounds, if I eat more than two pounds, I'm like stuffed. Whereas if it's like, I don't know, ribeye, ribeye or tenderloin or something like that, I can go three, four pounds deep into that. But, but brisket, I'm like two pounds and I'm tapping. I'm almost, I almost, I'm almost embarrassed. I mean, it's still a lot of food, but I'm just kind of like, I'm kind of thinking to myself, why can't I eat much, rib, much brisket? So there's something about certain cuts of meat that are more satisfying, satiating than others. And brisket can be fattier for sure. Oh man, I, I love, I mean, here in Argentina, it's called, it's, it's called costilla or, or tira de asado, but man, it is incredibly, I mean, it's incredible. <laughs> it is, it's incredible. I was going to talk a little bit about, uh, I used to raise chicken on, on pasture and I remember keeping all those livers and I made a, I made a liver pate that you're not going to believe me, but that thing was the best thing. That was one of the best things I ever ate. I loved it. I don't know if it's because I made it personally or what it was, man, I love that liver pate that I made with those chicken livers that I raised a couple of years ago. Those were so good. I was in France a few years ago and I was down in the, in the sort of the, the Basque country, uh, Pays Basque, as they say it in France, French with a better accent than mine. Um, yeah, they had a, they had a lot of uh, oh no it wasn't it wasn't a basket it was in the oh I can't remember it was by it was by the caves the Lisco caves and I'm forgetting the look of the area there but anyway they had a lot of the a lot of the uh, foie gras uh, you know different variations and that was really good I mean I enjoyed it I mean it's like I said I'm not opposed to eating organ meats and livers I just don't I find most of them I don't like and I've had a sampling of a lot of I've had raw pig brains I've had liver and kidney and you know, and the sweetbreads and some of the weirdest stuff I visited Iceland and my Icelandic buddy who's a carnivore was like, he wanted to show me the traditional Icelandic stuff that you're not going to, you know, that you're going to, and I can say I was eating shark and blubber and, and then for some reason he was going to be, there was ram testicles and, you know, I was like, my stuff is, and it was pickled in whey and it doesn't taste good. I was like, man, this stuff is just not good. I appreciate it that I'm trying it. I tried it, but I was like, I ain't ordering it again. <laughs> you know? That's the one, the one thing I have eaten out of an animal that I did not like yet was brain. That was very, very difficult to eat. And I've been told that you can prepare it in a way that it's good. But the three times I've eaten it, I have had a very hard time chewing that and swallowing it. <laughs> that was not good at all. I, actually, one time here. I found it, the, the brain, I had, I had literally had raw pig's brain, which is probably some sort of health risk. Uh, you know, I think the butcher, we did it. We did actually, we were at a, at a high end custom butcher and he was doing it right for, for our group as we were doing a presentation. And, uh, you know, we just, here's for raw pig brain and I ate it and it, it had literally no taste. And it was just, it just, it didn't have a texture that wasn't really all that pleasant. And I just like, this is, I don't know why people like this, but some people do and uh -huh. good for them. 
The, the texture was terrible. Actually, one time we ordered a, a, un asado here at a restaurant and it came with brain and I tried it and I didn't like it again. And there was a dog close by. So we threw it out there. The dog sniffed it and then walked away. He didn't even eat it. <laughs> and now we're talking about a dog that's living on the street that doesn't get too much food. He's like, no, I'll pass. <laughs> well, well, thanks a lot for coming on. I mean, this, I personally believe this is, this is the way to give ourselves the proper nutrition. Um, like I said, before we even started, I'm a huge gardener. So I've been, I've been, I've been pushing for the garden for many years and gardening means vegetables. So as I continue my evolution of what I believe true human nutrition is, it's, it's funny how I'm taking this garden. Now I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a meat eating gardener, which is, is can, can be kind of weird sometimes. And I, and I tell, well, I wanna, you know, I'm just, let me just pose something to you. Uh -huh. All that gardening you're doing requires work and skill. And it's clearly a man-made venture, right? That stuff isn't just growing randomly for the most part. And so you think about what would I have eaten if I was wandering nomad, you know, Probably not a lot of vegetables, but you know, most of the vegetables we today were created. They're man-made. I mean, you think about it and, and how much calories are in there. You know, you think about what a creature was looking for. We're looking for maximum efficiency for calories. Uh, no one back then was worried about micronutrients and having a registered dietitian talking about them, getting your five a day and make sure you get to eat the rainbow. And they were like, what tastes good and what gives me energy? And, and it was invariably fatty animals and then and then it was fruit and it was you know if i got some honey I, I was pretty lucky with that maybe i scrounged up some some nuts and and you know underground storage organs you know roots and tubers but i think most of it probably focused on i mean uh, the biggest bang for your buck clearly is going to be taken down a mammoth and we did that i mean there's all, all kinds of anthropologic papers that show that man decimated mammoths and they had no problem killing them even today in africa you know you, you guys you guys still hunt elephants you know, the, the tribesmen, it takes one or two guys to kill an elephant. It's not that hard, believe it or not, because they're just, they don't run away. They're, they're easy to track, particularly, you know, a hundred thousand years ago when they were everywhere, we had gazillions of them everywhere and they weren't really scared of people. You know, it's kind of like, okay, that's pretty, it's like, it's like, it's like having an asado, you know, <laughs> or a churrascaria open every night, you know, hey, what are we, we going to have? We're going to have some more barbecued elephant mammoth meat or something. But anyway. That must, that must've been, that must've been, but it must have fed a family for like a year. I mean, that's a, that's a big animal. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I think, you know, there's debate about how, you know, a lot of times they may have even let some of the meat rot. I mean, with all these buffalo drops they had, you know, they would kill hundreds of buffalo and, you know, they'd let just let half them of them rot or more than half of them let them rot because they were like, we got enough. So there was a surplus situation. And, you know, there's an interesting book. It's called, it's called Megafauna and the subtitle I can't remember, but it's written by Baz Edmeads. It just came out fascinating fascinating read on what creatures roamed the earth back when we were early back when we were early i mean all these just crazy crazy animals and uh the thing that i didn't realize is apparently like one of the favorite foods of early man and when i say early man i'm talking you know this homo erectus type stuff the early humans what were, were these giant tortoises i mean you think about it these giant big giant tortoises really are they don't really have any natural predators because they're so well, all they do is suck into their shell and nothing can really get them. But man can come over and flip them over and split and just kind of pry them open with a sharp, sharp rock or a stick. And so we had all these tortoises, that, they don't run away, right? Clearly they're slow as hell. So we just ate the hell. There used to be all these gigantic tortoises all over the, all over the landscape and we just eat through, eat through them and they're pretty fatty. And so I, I you know, again, I think the fat part is, is an important part of, the human uh, evolutionary story and, and human human development and, and it still plays a role today i totally agree with that i mean i think uh, i start i'm telling my patients that i think i'm crazy now that the only superfood there is is fat <laughs> that, that, that's that's where that's where a lot of nutrition is found again but like i was saying i went yeah, I, I think, think uh-huh I just think you have to be cautious not to not to start to because a lot of people convert that into eating butter and drinking oh, yeah. gobs of cream and I think that can that can backfire. So I think fat as it comes in nature on a big fatty animal is then I would be more apt to sort of agree with that. But you see too many people that say, "Oh, I got to get fat, so here I'm going to do is drink you know half a gallon of MCT oil or something." You know, we get this kind of nutty stuff that happens from from some of the stuff people extrapolate a statement and you know, go crazy with it. 
Yeah, that's exactly it. Animal fat. Yeah, I should. Yeah, I got to start uh, letting it animal fat. <laughs> that what comes from nature. That's 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 what I'm talking about. But yeah, I was unrefined animal fat. Perfect. Uh, okay. But like I said, I was I was a big. But now the majority of my gardening is just to help me feel better emotionally and physically and a lot of my produce is given away now because i i still i I love doing it because it's there's so much more health benefits to it but a lot of the eating what i grow is actually given away now it's and a lot more is 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 meat so i I continue to evolve Uh it's interesting i'll just interject in there you know i think there was there was a line of thought and i i still think a lot of people are, are pursuing this line and a lot of the early uh, domestication of plants you know like some of the planting was done in fact just to attract animals so that you, so you could, didn't have to chase them they come to you and you kill them there so like a lot of the initial grains were attracting deer and other antelope and, and and in fact if you go into some of the scandinavian word etymology the the word for um grain actually translates into deer food it's like Deerfeld or something. I can't remember the exact word, but it's like, and then meat was human food. And then there was honey was also in there. It was like meat, honey, and deer food, which was grain. And so it's kind of, just kind of an interesting, you know. That is, that is very interesting. And that's the first time I've ever heard that. That is very interesting. And that is, I'm going to look into that because that is, that is pretty, that's interesting. That actually, they grew the plants to bring the, the animals in so they could it'd make it easier to hunt the animals and it just makes total sense. Again, I don't want to take more time. I mean, we've actually gone longer than normal. So this is exciting for me. I love talking to you and I love hearing from you. So I mean, it's just been great. Um, Where can they get to know more about what you're doing, Sean, before we, before we let you go? Yeah. Well, I mean, I I would encourage people, I would encourage people to come look at our our company, Rivero.com. We are just taking off like gangbusters right now. We just went through a fund. We're going through the middle of a funding round and we're getting this, enormous amount of support and funding going to us. So we're going to be able to do great things with regard to reversing chronic disease on my social media. I am at uh, Instagram at Sean S H A W N Baker B A K E R one nine six seven. I've got a YouTube channel. It's just, I think it's Sean Baker MD. I've got a uh, Twitter account at S Baker MD. And I think that's, that's mostly, I mean, you know, I'm like, I do it. I do it every morning at 9 a.m at Rivero and you can sign up for free. Um, I do a little group meeting and I've got anywhere between 30 and hundred people come there every day and we just chat. And so if you want to just chat with me directly, just pop on there. That's the easiest way. But if you just want to be offended by something I post, cause I tend to do stuff that's a little, you know, kind of goofy. Um, then you can follow me on the other social media stuff, but, but I'm actually a pretty reasonable person. I think when most people actually get to, to know me and chat. So. No, I've been, I've been enjoying your stuff quite a bit. I've learned quite a bit from you. That's why I was so excited to actually have you come on the show. And it's been, I think, five months in the main making, to tell you the truth. It's been a long time in the making to actually get you on the show. So yeah, we've been going back and forth. I apologize, man. I I just, I've got, you know, and it's crazy. I got so many podcast requests and I try to do as many as possible. And sometimes I just get, I just get pulled into so many things. And, (laughs) and, you know, I, I, you know, like I said, I just, I, I don't mean to not, sort of participate but sometimes it just gets crazy and um yeah but no i'm glad, but, I'm glad we got it done That's, no I mean, I, yeah i'm super excited i'm so super glad you came on i appreciate your time more than anything so this is gonna be a great show i mean i appreciate you coming on and i'm gonna get all that stuff in the show notes so people can go out and see you and hopefully they they, they go in rivero and they get to talk to you for those couple minutes in the morning every, every i mean I, I think that's awesome that you're doing that i mean that you're helping so many people so again thanks again for coming on i, I really appreciate your time sean thanks so much thanks for having me I sure hope you enjoyed that episode with Sean Baker. I mean, that was something I've been wanting to do for a long time, and I just loved being able to get him on the show and talking about the importance of nutrition and how we can better give our bodies nutrition. Remember, this is a grassroots movement. This grows because one person at a time gets the word out. And one of the best ways to get the word out is by leaving reviews on iTunes. If you can leave one review, that helps maybe two or three people get this. So go to iTunes, go to Wellness Farmer Podcast, go to the very bottom, review and rate this podcast so we can get this out there. This is so important. If you never want to miss an episode and you want a free book that's called Earth and Us, Heal Naturally, go to my website and join my email list. 
and you'll never miss an episode. If you want to support me, there's a couple of ways to support me, and I would appreciate it. First is by buying my books. If you've bought my books, buy them for your friends or your family or your loved ones. I have Playing in the Dirt. I have The Four Pillars of Health, and I have a short ebook on my website called Mental Well-Being Made Simple. You can buy these books, and you can give them as gifts, and that's a great way to give just a little bit back to me if you want to support this cause. And finally, the best way to support this cause is joining my membership where we go so much more deeper and we talk about this stuff. And not only do we talk about it, we take action. We come together and we take action. We talk about and we take action on how to bring the garden and our connection to nature and earth into the forefront of our journeys for greater health and well-being. It's simple. PastorVerdeFarm.com slash subscription. I hope to hear from you there soon and personally get to know you a lot better. Again, pastosweatherthefarm.com slash subscription to join us as wellness farmers. Hope to see you soon.